And please don't use uh, cell phones for texting, for interneting, for any of that stuff. While you're in a uh, Buddhist center, it's really nice to connect and just be present and just to put down Facebook and uh, Twitter and Instagram and what, is, what are the other things? <laughs> Tumblr. What's the one where people hook up? Tinder. T- t- Tinder. <laughs> <laughs> Lulu. I'm 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 thankful. I'm I'm old enough that I don't have to worry about any of these things. Boy rating is now so far in my past that when I was when I, when boy rating happened in my life, it was done on bathroom stalls. It wasn't. It wasn't. They didn't have apps for it. Um. All right. So, um, tonight's going to be a talk about um, uh, one of the core tools that allows for uh, spiritual growth. The word in the Buddhist language was upekka, and it means uh, that quality of developing equanimity or balance or a non-reactive awareness that allows us, uh, allows us to stay present in life without being pushed, goaded, prodded, or, or triggered into uh, knee-jerk, automatic, ingrained, habitual responses and reactions to events. So, um, probably the most one of the words that also comes to mind with when we talk about upekka is, uh, or the Buddhist quality of equanimity is the um, word acceptance. Now, acceptance in the West, in 12-step practice and in uh, Western therapy, means an ability to uh, also... Similarly, to not feel compelled to change conditions, to intervene with other people. Acceptance denotes um, if uh, there's somebody in our life that's acting in a difficult way, not feeling the need to force them to change, uh, to engage in campaigns to change the world around us, the ability to... uh, in essence, say yes to what's happening in a sense, not necessarily agreeing, but allowing that this is what's happening right now in our life. And acceptance has very, very important roles to play, both in keeping people sober and in um, developing tools to work with anxiety and um, uh, other uh, psychological conditions. Uh, the, the, the slight issue with Western acceptance is that it has a, a quality of, of resignation to it. When we use the word acceptance, we don't only think like accepting a package or accepting life as it is, but there's also this air of giving up. And um, 
In Buddhist practice, this is where there's a difference between upekka and our concept of acceptance. The Buddha uh, doesn't give up on developing lasting happiness and peace in life. He uh, uses ex- uh, this quality of uh, non-reactive awareness to then change what we can. So we're not giving up. We're simply... Uh, having a quality of awareness that allows us to make smart decisions and implement change where it's possible. So, and Buddhist acceptance or equanimity is not about just allowing people to walk all over us or giving up or just, you know, things are just as they are. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's actually the, the first phase that allows us actually to use, um, to influence life in a positive way. So there's not, a, there's not that resignation quality to it. Um, there's two ways that the Buddha used upekka or uh, equanimity in his teachings. The first is that quality of being observant. Uh, without needing to intercede. And this means uh, when, for instance, we feel anxiety arising, not feeling the, giving into the impulse to uh, uh, freak out or go with the thoughts that tell us that we're, you know, something terrible is happening. Uh, When uh, we feel lonely, it doesn't mean immediately going into the need to go out to a bar or use Tinder to hook up with somebody. Um, I had to work that in there. Um, when, uh, when we feel threatened, we don't... When we hear somebody's talking shit about us, we don't feel the immediate need to immediately... Uh, stab them in the back or talk about them or uh, even rush to our defense. There's this quality of before we act, simply being observant. Um, All of the Buddha's forms of meditation, core meditative practices like Kagata, Sampujana, Samavayama, they all involve this ability to observe experience and to uh, not act, to not react. Now, what's the difference between reacting, which is what we don't want to do, and responding, which is what we do want to do? Reacting is when I'm completely unaware that there's any other choice I have, when I feel compelled to do something, when there's only one choice in my mind. Now, if there's a fire in here, which there's not, uh, running for one's life is a reaction that makes sense. And unfortunately, though, the, we walk around uh, today in the 21st century with Stone Age brains, and we are still very, very... Um, our default settings are very, very set to react. Uh, even though we are now the dominant species in the planet, we are safe, our life expectancies are longer than ever. Uh, chances are none of us will be attacked 
in this room while I talk. Uh, we still have subtle levels of, of, um, of armoring, shielding, mines darting around. We're primed to react, and we can be very quick. The brain is set up, uh, what the Buddha called Udaka Kukucha. It's his way of what uh, neuroscientists now call the uh, HPA axis, which is a part of the brain that is the fight, flight, freeze, react, survive first, ask questions later type of mindset, which is what all human brains are default to until we program them otherwise. You are all programmed to last long enough that until you can fuck, reproduce, and then die. That's your <laughs> happiness is not in the. Uh, <laughs> Mike loves that. <laughs> uh, you're not programmed really to find lasting peace or happiness. In terms of Darwinian survival, that's not part of the. Uh, that's not part of the uh, equation. So to, to to reset our. Uh, our programming, we need to intercede. So the second is um, beyond that quality of being observant, the ability to not intercede, to allow our experience to play out uh, before we make a decision. Uh, the other quality is disengagement. Disengagement means uh, the Buddha suggested and urged us wherever possible to be kind, compassionate, and to be appreciative of other people's successes in life, their uh, joys, their happiness. Those are the first three of the four Brahma-Viharas, kindness, compassion uh, when people are suffering, and appreciation when people are experiencing joy. But uh, if those were the only Brahma-Viharas, the divine mind states, then uh, we would get pushed and pulled around by other people. We wouldn't be able to to disengage, detach. When other people in our lives that we care about are suffering, we would have to suffer too. Uh, in situations where um, we tried to be helpful and people were having none of it, uh, we would suffer. So equanimity in this interpersonal social meaning means the ability to see when we've tried and we have to let go. We have to step back, disengage. Now, in most Western cultures, this, the way people disengage is out of fury. They get frustrated to the point, I give up with you. You know? Um, and the problem is that people generally wait far too long to step back, disengage. They keep trying to control, change urge people to behave in a way that they want. We're not prepared to undergo the process of allowing for there to be times in relationships where we have to step back and just allow people to make mistakes, even if we believe those mistakes could potentially be harmful. Uh, the entire program of Al-Anon is based upon uh, allowing addicts and alcoholics to, you know, we, we can't control them. Uh, after you've tried, we step back and we allow people to live their lives. And if they make mistakes, they have to live in the outcomes of those mistakes. So um, these two qualities of not needing to, 
to react all the time, to get to the place where we can uh, uh, first allow experience to happen, frustrations to happen, bad news to pop up in life, without needing to stop or intervene. Uh, this, this keeps us sane, and the quality of being able to disengage from people, when, from relationships, for a while, while somebody's acting poorly, not throwing them out of our lives, not deciding that we need to give up on them forever, Disengagement means, okay, I can see right now I cannot understand or work with the way you're, you're acting. I'm going to pull back and do it with a sense of an open heart. These two practices keep us sane. Without them, there's no lasting uh, happiness in our spiritual practice. The important part about uh, allowing frustrations, bad news, difficulties to arise is that we don't just accept, okay, this is bad, this sucks. We then turn the awareness inwards and we relax the breath, pull out the length of the out-breath so that we engage the parasympathetic nervous system. You relax yourself. We relax the stomach muscles and the jaw and the facial muscles so that we're releasing that armored defensiveness. So even if the world's really going wrong, our jobs are going wrong, shit's happening that we don't approve of, we can still cultivate ease. Likewise, when somebody in our life is acting really unskillfully and we need to disengage from them, we just don't give up and, all right, fuck that. We then bring our awareness to relationships, people, interactions, interpersonal situations that are working out, where we can be helpful. So in both cases of equanimity, we're not giving up. We're not just throwing up our hands and saying, okay, you know, know, uh, this job today sucks. (laughs) What am I going to do? Or, okay, this person is acting like an asshole. I'm just going to sit and grumble about it. In each case, we turn our awareness towards things that we can influence so that we can develop peace, equanimity, balance. So in essence, unlike uh, Western acceptance, Buddhist equanimity is not just giving up. It's actually saying, okay... If if this person's acting in a way I can't deal with, I'm going to focus on this person for a while where I can relate, work, share, help, be helped, engage with skillfully. And then if this person uh, goes through a period where they change or where they start to act in a way that we can interact, then I'll, I'll go back there. Now, there's a couple of reasons why equanimity is really fucking difficult to do. First of all, we are primed to survive, and so the nature of the mind is to do what the Buddha called tamiyata, which is to shrink around the bad news. We have what's known as negativity bias. As I was talking about recently, uh, uh, the human mind needs five times as many, and I'm doing this so you can, I've probably done that more than five, but I'm just going to do that to grab your attention. Five times as many positive experiences as one negative 
should only flush that once. Uh, uh, we need five times as many positive experiences to, for a memory to last, a positive uh, interaction to last, than we need of negative. You see somebody, and they have five positive interactions with them, you'll, you'll think positively of them. You, have, you meet somebody, you have one negative interaction, you know, the toll booth clerk or whatever, I don't know, the person standing in the way of the, sub, the subway door entrance, you're like, what an asshole! <laughs> That's the nature of the mind, is to, uh, we, we, we go to the negative. Uh, we do this all the time. I sh- I'm sure in your life, you find you go home from a long day of work, you see your roommate or a loved one, or you call up somebody on the phone, what a day I had, you wouldn't believe it, that schmuck at work was a schmuck, and the train was, was late, and the, the this and the that, and do we ever notice everything that goes right in the course of a day? No, we don't pay attention to that. There's actually a really wonderful Louis C.K. routine about you know, the Wi-Fi on the plane. Was, he was on the plane the first day they had Wi-Fi, and so he's up using it, and then the signal goes out, and he gets all upset. And he pointed out that not only did this not even exist, you know, a week earlier, but he's meanwhile he's getting all upset and pissed off. He's on a plane in a box, a metal box that's flying 550 miles per hour across the state so that he could get to California in five hours, what used to take a human being five fucking weeks to get across. It's amazing what we have in our life, the miracles all around us, but the brain collapses and shrinks around the bad news, and all that makes us, over time, that hyper-focusing on the bad news makes the mind even more reactive. On top of that, the negativity uh, um, bias of the brain, there's also what uh, clinical psychologists call emotion contagion. Certain families, certain workplaces, certain friends, certain environments, are the people engage in stress as a way of life. Reactivity as a way of life. They did a study of the cortisol levels of, of people who work on Wall Street. They're mostly, unfortunately, men in their 20s. Their adrenal cortisol levels are skyrocketing throughout the day. Our entire economic health as a country is based on the actions of people who are clinically insane while they're at work. <laughs> Literally, they're just, they were comparing the cortisol levels to people who were literally psychotic. And <laughs> this is literally what the entire balance of the fiscal world rides on. is like a bunch of 25-year-olds drinking Diet Coke and, and shouting at the computer monitors, It's going down at 37! We're going to do it! You know, and it's... And... That literally they found, studies have found that emotion contagion is, the, the human brain is set up to imitate, to learn from other people. That's what gives us our huge, what gave us our huge advantage uh, as a species. We can learn incredibly quickly from others, but it also creates 
our weakness, which is we learn from the people around us, and if the people around us are acting in a way that's destructive in the long term, we will follow them. The brain is an imitation machine. It's very, very difficult to override the... uh, the brain's mirror neurons in the somatosensory region of the brain, which literally makes us want to copy the behavior and the actions of those around us. So the brain is set up to survive. We've got negativity bias, and we've got the uh, mirror neurons that make us subject to emotion contagion. So you're saying, Josh... I'd like a little bit of good news right now. I'd like you to say something that's going to lift my spirits. Uh, And I didn't even mention, by the way, that in our culture... (laughs) I forgot to even mention the third. I just saw my third point, which was that in our our culture, we're, we're educated to be reactive. You don't see in Clint Eastwood movies, you know, he starts out as a guy, I don't want to shoot people anymore, I'm retired, I'm, I'm an old Clint Eastwood, and then all this bad shit happens. You don't see him go, well, <laughs> the Buddha taught in the first noble truth that this shit happens, the quality of life, if I intercede, I'm just going to be reactive, I'm not going to be responding to life, I'm just going to let it go. That's not much of a Clint Eastwood movie. He hasn't made that one yet. In every single movie, he's like, you know, that's what we watch. We watch people being reactive. And it feels good to be reactive even because at first it releases adrenaline, which adrenaline actually, uh, after dopamine, is a mood booster. The problem is that adrenaline comes with a friend. It comes along to the party of your brain with a friend. Its friend is named cortisol, and cortisol sucks big time. <laughs> cortisol gives, causes cell damage, stops the production of white blood cells, makes you more subject to immune deficiency diseases, makes you more subject to cancers, arteriosclerosis, um, uh, uh, heart disease, it, uh, it causes Alzheimer's fucking disease. So it's terrible, but it comes along with that immediate boost of adrenaline where I've got to get in there and I've got to do something. So what are the ways that we can actually <coughs> counteract this, this process and develop equanimity, develop the ability to stand back, watch, Uh, disengage, relax the breath so that we stop the HPA release of uh, cortisol and actually engage the parasympathetic nervous system by lengthening the breath, relaxing the stomach, relaxing the shoulders, relaxing the chest. How do we do that? If you wait until somebody acts really unskillfully, if you wait until... um, If you wait until there's a really bad day at work, you wait until you know, something really fucked up is happening, it won't work. Because by that point, the brain is already flooded with cortisol. The striatum will take over and you won't have a choice in the matter. So we need to train ourselves to be non-reactive. 
to give ourselves a choice of how to respond in life, to not taking away our free will and just acting out of survival. So the first is we need to practice, and we practice in the little daily things that cause frustration, but don't that we have a we actually have a possibility of of uh, of, of getting some inroads and sort of not being reactive. For me, this is fortunate because I, as a as a, a guy now over fifty, <laughs> every day I lose my wallet with my keys and my iPhone. It doesn't matter what color they are. It doesn't matter where I think I've left them. They all are lost on a daily basis. And the beauty of when, you, when we lose something and we allow reactivity to happen, what happens is first the breath gets shallow. I start, I'll, if you know, the story is going around that I'm running late, then that triggers the release of cortisol. Now I'm really reacting. And the beauty of it is when you're in stress, or when I'm in stress, I'll look at the same goddamn place over and over and over again. <laughs> Where's my fucking keys? <laughs> you know? I don't look anywhere else. I'm just like going back. It's on the fucking table. <laughs> then there comes like the ingrained, you know, defense... The world's fucking with me. Who moved my wallet? <laughs> Nobody in my life has any interest in moving my wallet. There just doesn't, there's, you know, in my brain, there's this them that are, are coming into my place and moving my wallet that are, you know, how to just fuck me up. They, they don't actually exist. But this is what happens when I go into reactivity. I look at the same place and I get angry at mysterious others who are moving my iPhone and my wallet just to fuck with me. <laughs> so the key is to uh, allow this, um, this to notice, okay, I'm in this place, I'm in this situation that is generally triggering. I can't find my keys, can't find my wallet, can't find my iPhone. Uh, and just for me to stop looking, to pull back from the looking for them, to sit for a moment, and I do this every day. I relax, lengthen the breath. I soften the stomach, soften the muscles in the back of the neck, soften all the areas where we keep stress, the somatic expressions of stress and cortisol. And then I um, open my eyes and I look, and I immediately find my wallet and my iPhone. Because what happens is, I'm no longer being propelled by ingrained habitual reactions, and I'm seeing clearly, and I'm taking in everything, and I'm no longer being pushed by the, the striatum into looking at the same places, and I'm not diverting my attention with all these stories about how I'm, you know, everything that's going to go wrong. It's, I can now take in fully the apartment and see what's present. So there's opportunities throughout life to practice being non-reactive so that when we're really in difficult arguments, we have a chance, a fighting chance that when somebody says something really irritating before we ratchet it up and say something even more pointed back, we have that possibility of breathing, 
disengaging, walking away, finding some peace, breathing, getting to a place where we either decide I can't talk about it with this person right now, or I'm at least going to relax everything internally so that I have a choice in what I'm going to say. If we practice throughout the day with the little things that normally amp us up, then we're developing, we're getting inroads for upekta. Uh, another way I do it is when I miss a subway. Um, I hate mass transit. I ride my bike whenever possible, but this winter's kind of been awful, brutal, so I've had to take the subway a lot more. And, I've, you know, there's always that moment when you go down into the, the train station and there's people blocking your way and you're trying, i got to get to teach and the train pulls out, and then there's the tendency to, to do the stupidest thing that a human being can do, which is look down the tunnel. <laughs> After pushing up the elevator button 12 times, it's, it's the most futile human thing. The only thing it does is ramp up the stress because you're never going to see the train, especially after one is just pulled out. <laughs> it's not going to be there. It's not. I've lived. I've been in New York all my life. It's. I've never. It, once every thirty years, there's an, another one immediately there. You know, pulled in by my willpower. Oh, good. I I I control reality. So. I won't look at my watch. I won't look down the train tunnel. I will just. Breathe, relax, look at other people around me, make the mind spacious so that I'm not being triggered. And that's very helpful, by the way, making the mind spacious, taking in other sensations. That allows us to uh, not engage, to not be triggered, to not act reactively. The Buddha called that process atamiyata, which means if we feel triggered by a conversation with someone, you can't get away, breathe. Lengthen the out-breath, take in the sounds around you, the feeling of the clothes in the body, the feeling of the chair beneath you, look past them, take in other sensations, make the mind more spacious. Um, additionally to these practices, there's also the reflections that the Buddha talked about that allow us to make it less likely that we'll be re reactive in life. The first is um, karma. Karma is not a, uh, as we, I talked about several weeks ago, it's not a statement that uh, when people act unskillfully that something bad will happen to them in the future. Karma is simply the understanding that the way people think and the way they act creates the minds that they'll have to live in in the future. It creates their future psychological states. And this is, in neuroscience, it's called neurons that fire together, wire together. If we think or act out of unskillful impulses, then we increase the likelihood, we naturalize the, the firing of those neurons, and we make it more likely that we're going to live in an agitated mind. So when somebody's really unskillful to me, I don't, if I've practiced and reflecting on the psychological truth that people have to live in the minds that they cultivate through their actions, I can remember, you know, this person, they have to live in that mind. These thoughts, these things that they're saying, 
is creating the mind that they have to live in in the future. Do I really need to add any more punishment than that? If somebody is acting out at me out of uh, aggression, uh, obviously I defend myself, but if somebody's just spouting bullshit, I remember that uh, they have to live in that. That bullshit will not only turn outwards into the world, it will turn against them. And so I get to not be with that person for years. He's got to live in that mind for a long time. So karma is a reflection that reminds us that we don't need to defend ourselves as much as we think, that we don't need to exact punishment, and that, that those things that keep us wired, reciting all the unskillful acts that keep us going in resentments. When we understand karma, we can let those stories go. We can practice forgiveness because we know that nobody gets away with anything. They just don't. Another quality is what I call universal dukkha. Dukkha is the Buddha's word for uh, suffering and stress. And basically, what the Buddha taught in the First Noble Truth is all beings, no matter who they are, all beings not only grow old, sick, and die, we all suffer sorrow, lamentation, grief, despair, pain. We all have frustrating events. We all get separated from people we love. And we all get stuck with people at times that we don't really enjoy that much. All of that is going to happen in life, not just the good stuff, the, the times that we get approval and we get you know, the feel-good pleasures, but we all are going to know that stuff. The human mind's tendency to take everything that we experience personally to believe that it's happening to me, to believe that this person is acting unskillfully to me that this is happening, this bad news is happening to me, I'm the one whose, uh, you know, friends are a pain in the neck, roommate a pain in the neck, boss pain in the neck, whatever pain in the neck, I'm the one who's got this load. The more we understand the nature, the universal quality of, of that life is difficult at times, it's not personal, we don't need to intercede as much. We tend to be reactive the more we feel attacked. The less we realize, the more we realize that this is not, uh, most of the events in life are not personal. Most of the time that people act unskillfully, we just happen to be there in their firing range. It, would, it wouldn't be, it would, they'd do the same to anybody else who happened to walk in their, their scopes. Then we don't have to react as much again. So these reflections really help to detrigger us. And finally, the third reflection that really helps us disengage is Marana Sati, which is the reflection that we don't have um, an unlimited amount of time in life. That we don't have any guarantee for to live to a ripe old age we don't know how long we'll be alive, that death can happen at any time, that any action of ours could be the last, and 
the questions that when we understand death is one, if this was my last action, would I want to go out being reactive, pushed by habitual reactive defensiveness without any choice, without any free will? Or would I prefer to go out calmly? What kind of mind would I like to cultivate for those future states? A calm mind that has a choice or a mind that is pushed into reacting? In India, upeka means seeing with patience, which means understanding that in the long run, so many of the things that bother us today will not bother us down the road. It won't bother us when we're in um, a nursing home or in a hospital bed. It really won't. Most of the shit that bothers us will not matter when the important events of life are faced. So these reflections really help disengage us from being a tendency to react in relationships. Uh, the last the last quality I'll talk about is finding secure relationships in your life with people that are trustworthy and reliable. There's a lot of good science that shows that when we surround ourselves with people that are unreliable, with friends who don't show up, where we recreate the early attachment schemes that cause uh, a difficulty to be calm, patient, uh, accepting. The more we have in our lives people who are reliable, who are available, who are capable of showing up and listening, the less we feel uh, abandoned, the less we feel abandoned, the less we react. So I hope that there was something worthwhile tonight's talk. I thank you so much for listening. If you're leaving now, please don't forget to help us with the rent because that's actually uh, a big issue. And uh, we'll let just the people who are leaving uh, do that, and then we'll have time for questions. <laughs>